to BIB Today, the daily business news program from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm reporter Tyler Orton. Look, I think it's obvious mobility patterns, they have been upended throughout this pandemic amid work from home policies, school disruptions, health concerns. People simply are not traveling the same way that they used to just one year ago. And a new report from Vancouver-based MoveMe, it unpacks what's been going on and maybe the implications for the future as well. With us today, it's CEO Sandra Phillips. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. Well, it's an exciting report as well. I I was able to kind of... uh, bite my teeth into a lot of it. And before we get into the nitty gritty of it all, I I think a lot of listeners and viewers might be curious about when we're talking about shared mobility, what exactly is it? What does it entail? Right. Um, The standard American engineering body came out with a definition earlier this year that I really, really like because it's very simple. It's essentially the on-demand access of any type of vehicle, whether that's a bus or a bike or a car um, for short-term use. So if and when you need it, you get access to it. And here in Vancouver, we actually have quite a few options. We have Evo, we have Moto, we have uh, Mobi Bike Share. Those are all great examples of different type of uh, uh, shared mobility services. So it's essentially like people often like to, you know, buy their cars, lease their single occupancy vehicles, get around. That's not really shared mobility as we're discussing it, right? No, no, that isn't. Um, and I think yeah. I actually forgot to mention the two uh, latest entrants um, this year's, which is Uber and Lyft. Those are also great examples. So ultimately, if you don't own a car, if it's somebody else's and you just gain access when and if you need it, that's when we talk about shared mobility. Well, you know, maybe I've got a question before we get right into the um the meat of the matter here with the report though, but with regards to the pandemic, have you observed kind of patterns in, in people turning to, you know, single occupancy vehicles? Is that of kind of concern in, in that a lot of these trends, a lot of these efforts underway to get shared mobility to really take off, it might be subverted to a certain degree because people might just want to rely on their cars because of say health concerns over the pandemic. You hit the nail on the head, and that's the reason why we started the COVID-19 Shared Mobility Task Force, because there was um, very early on, you know, when we just got into the pandemic here in North America, there were reports from Europe and and China um, that people had started to shift towards their own um, individual vehicle or, or purchases have gone up. And so we were concerned about that and tried to understand, well, does it and how does it impact Um, And if that's the case, what do we need to do Um, so we don't get into another, um, I call it the Carmageddon, but (laughs) so we don't get into that kind of situation um, once we come out on the other end of this uh, pandemic. So you're right. um, There has been a shift. And I think part of the finding of the report is that, you know, because health concerns um, are, are on everybody's mind and they're the number one reason of why people decide one mode over the other which I've been working in the space for 10 years. I have never seen this in my entire career, that that is that important. Um, so there is a shift towards more individual uh, transportation modes. You know, bike sales, uh, car sales have gone through the roof. And if you look at history, like for instance, SARS uh, in London, 
it was the same pattern. We, we know, we know for a fact that public transit usage will be down for a little bit longer and, you know, people start to shift to other modes. Now, I will say this shared mobility space, which kind of sits in between, is actually a great, um, how should I phrase this? It's a, it's a good way for people to shift over to that because it's considered safer. And cities like um, uh, Helsinki in Finland and uh, Berlin, they have programs, mass programs, so mobility as a service, where you connect pu public transit with shared mobility operators. They've had them throughout the pandemic. And what they've seen is that people shifted. Exactly, they did exactly that. They shifted from public transit and moved into shared mobility, which basically, ultimately, what I'm trying to say is you still have them in the ecosystem. They haven't purchased their own car, which is a long-term commitment, and you lost them. Once I bought a car, I'm out of your you know, ecosystem, transportation ecosystem for the next five to 10 years. It's a big investment there. And one thing that you alluded to, though, is kind of how there's going to be this momentary shift away from reliance on, say, public transit, uh, for example. And that was one of the findings that you get into the report when it comes to consumers. I'm wondering if you can kind of expand on other trends, other findings that you guys have with regards to consumers specifically here as a result of this pandemic. Mm hmm. I think what I already talked about is kind of this health concern, um, <clears throat> which is, is, you know, normally people care about how expensive is something, how convenient is it, is it close to me and not necessarily, you know, how um, safe am I from a health perspective. So that's, I think, the other one. Now, what is really interesting and and we looked at what do consumers do and then we also looked at how had the industry reacted because the industry is normally quite quick to pick up on you know changes in consumer behavior and finding um solutions to to offer and one of the things that has increased is long-term um models so you know you have a car share that now offers you the vehicles for a month which during the early months, they also offered them to essential workers, right? So you have a shift from, you know, on, I mean, if you remember car to go in Vancouver, right? It was like per, by the course, minute, yeah. by the minute. <laughs> so now we're talking about monthly um, or maybe just longer term, you know, a couple of days and you have the, I think you have the safety that this is your vehicle, quote unquote, um, whether that's a car or the bike. I think the other, um, thing that we've seen and that's I will have to say that for me personally that was probably one of the most eye-opening findings is that our existing transportation system are actually quite unequal um, so think about who has the ability to work from home it's mostly white collar workers essential workers lower income workers they all still have to get to work somehow and for them shifting to the individual uh, you know, vehicles, whether that is an e-bike or a car, it doesn't matter. It's a financial commitment that has an impact, especially when you know hours are down at the moment and income level, one person lost their job. So we have a very unequal system currently. Um, and there is, I will say when we conducted expert interviews for the last seven months, and there is a bit of a I think this pandemic has brought this to the forefront and there is a bit of belief that we actually have an ability to change this coming out and that people for the first time really pay attention to this. Um, as I said, for me, that was one of the findings where I'm like, what? I always thought we have an equal system. So I think that's another one. Um, 
oh, I can go on for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, let, let me jump in here, though, because I'm wondering, did you notice, was there kind of a, a reaction from industry that was pretty consistent uh, across all industries, like maybe from the initial um, start of the pandemic to how they responded uh, going through it all? Mm -hmm. I would say initially it was very much panic and everybody was like trying to figure out what should we do and how should we respond um, to this. And then it became very much focused on just increasing um, the safety and the cleanliness. So operational best practices. And, and there was, I will tell you, there was a lot of experimentation with very, you know, with um, UV cleaning guns of trying to clean vehicles and, uh, I mean, TransLink runs a pilot right now, right, with a uh, with special material that essentially is supposed to kill, I think, 90% of bacteria. So I there's like copper or something <laughs> yeah, like exactly, that. Yeah, exactly, copper. Because uh, I, I spoke to a mining company like during the middle of the pandemic, and, and they were talking about how they're all about copper now because of this uh, ability to, you know, be antibacterial. So yeah. I'm sorry, go, go on though, but it, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, and then, and then it shifted to... Um, supporting and collaborating. I will say the other really interesting thing for us has been that there is, you know, historically public transit and these shared mobility providers like ride hailing and car sharing were seen or saw each other a little bit as competition. And there was a little bit of like, yeah, I don't really want to work with you. You're kind of taking away my riders or my drivers. Um, and that has changed. There is an understanding that we actually have to work together. Um, and we're, you know, before the pandemic and even now we're still you know catching a fraction of the population in these new uh, forms of mobility so let's just work together in increasing the pie rather than fighting over this little tiny sliver that we currently have and i think that's one of the things that really has changed and because there is more collaboration they were able to adjust their businesses um and I mean, I can give you an example from Vancouver, and I'm not saying this collaboration has started before the pandemic, but there is a, a shared mobility uh, compass card pilot that TransLink ran together with Mobi, uh, Modo, and Evo. And you could say, you know, especially Modo and Evo, they're kind of direct competitors, but they've built this program together and they ran it through, uh, I think, until the end of August. So, um, I think that's that's another key learning for me is that, you know, in crisis, we come together and work together. Do you think that maybe transit agencies have like a special role to play because they, they function as these hubs and, you know, private corporations could recognize, hey, look, if we're partnering up in these situations, even if competitors are involved, we're probably going to win out in the end. They do. And I like move me always had the stance that public transit is the backbone of it all. All these new forms are great and they solve some of the problems that are really hard to solve for public transit that is focused on fixed route, moving a high number of people, right? Distributing them from the hubs to the end location is really challenging. First and last mile is what it's called. That's a really tough problem to solve. And that's where shareability can step in and really support. Um, so I think, yes, they have a role and I, this is a, like, now I'm looking a little bit in the future. This is a couple of years down the road, but ultimately it becomes somebody has to have the seat of orchestrating all these different modes uh, better in the sense of, you know, tying it back together to reducing greenhouse gas emissions and congestion. And who is, I, I personally think, who is better suited to that than somebody who's already orchestrating a lot of 
buses and people in the region. And so that would be public transit for me. Um, so I do think that's probably the best body that in the future will orchestrate this ecosystem. No. Look, if this pandemic is going to have an outsized impact on, you know, people that are not as advantaged as, say, white collar workers that can simply work from home, what do policymakers, what do decision makers need to consider moving forward to ensure that this inequality doesn't persist, you know, years and years past this pandemic? Well, the report comes out with three recommendations for policymakers. And the first one is recognize that shared mobility is an essential service provider in your city. Um, in globally, there were different reactions. So, you know, in North America, some uh, a lot of cities recognize them as essential services. But for instance, in New Zealand, they didn't. And so they were shut down. So I think there is a... a it has to be recognized that they provide essential services. In fact, you know, during the early months, a lot of them provided free access or discounted rights to um, healthcare workers. So I think that's the first one. The second one is, let's have a look at these policies and, and the policy framework that deals with shared mobility. And let's make sure that they can be sustainable, financially sustainable operations in the long term. And what has happened, and this is a bit of a history lesson on the shared mobility policy, but we used to just let anybody come in and do whatever they wanted. You know, dockless uh, bikes were just dropped into cities, ride hailing could just come in and waltz in. And that obviously didn't work. So then the cities went uh, the other extreme and started to mandate every little operational detail, which is really stifling. Um, you know, if you have a fleet cap and you're only allowed to have 200 vehicles in a city, whether that's, and when I say vehicle, I mean a bike or a car, it doesn't matter. It's almost impossible to make a viable business. And so then you shut down because you can't make that market work. So let's think about how we create a policy framework and maybe tie them back together to overarching goals such as greenhouse gas emission reduction, equity um, challenges, and incentivize what you want them to do. So if you want them to all move to electric vehicles, well, incentivize that in some way, shape or form, at least in the early stages. So I think that's the second one. Um, and then the last one is invest in partnerships. I think, as I mentioned, this seemed to have naturally happened during the pandemic. And I really hope that that continues. Let's not see industry as kind of the bad, I don't know, the bad voice or the boogeyman's let's just work together because they can solve some of the challenges that, um, you know, city or public transit agency really have a challenge in doing so. Um, so I think those are the three kind of recommendations we put out. Well, you brought this COVID-19 task force together because of concerns about that challenges that lay ahead as a result of say consumer trends. Are you hopeful for the future? Are you hopeful about what the pandemic might mean for policymakers, decisions that they could make moving forward? I actually am, um, and and for a few reasons, and, and, and maybe because we've been watching this now, this first wave and the second wave, um, we've actually seen that some of these recommendations have started to hold. Uh, so, you know, increasing uh, the partnership piece, as I said, that's like, I feel that's probably the furthest ahead. The other thing is a lot of cities have started to um, look at creating infrastructure support for some of these shared mobility modes, you know, bike lanes, 
um, you know, our, our Beach Avenue bike lane, right? That was a pop-up bike lane that now will be yeah. um, <laughs> permanent. And a lot of cities- I used it all summer long, I'll admit. Exactly. Was, uh, yeah. it, wasn't it great? And this is like, this is the, yeah. the basis for, let's say, micro-mobility, right? The bike shares, they need that type of infrastructure so people feel safe and they will actually use it. So I think there's been pieces that have started to pop up and that really- at least for me, show that we're moving in the right direction. And now if I'm speaking for Vancouver, um, you know, the Vancouver's emergency, climate emergency plan that just got approved, I can't remember, maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, council, um, that has a lot of the, the, the pieces, individual pieces. Now it's a matter of tying this together and tying it also together, you know, city is one thing, but then you have a, a different North Vancouver and West Vancouver, and they have different plans. So tying it together regionally and then tying it together with public transit, I think that's the other um, challenge that we have to, to focus on over the next little while. Well, it, it's a... It's a very trying time, but it's also a kind of an exciting time to think about the possibilities that lay ahead. And and Sandra, we'll have to get you back to talk about it more in the future. But for now, I, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you so much, Tyler, for having me. That is Sandra Phillips. She is the CEO of Move Me, and that is it for the show today. We'll be back next week with more interviews. For now, you can go to BIV.com for stories, videos, audio podcasts, everything you can imagine right there on our website. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thank you for listening.